Hello, Americans. Stand by for news. Standing by, sir. Thank you, Paul. We'll be right here. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It never is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hey. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle. On KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's. AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify. Blanketing planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us as the fight for truth and justice, and yes, the American way, continues right here on the broadcast. and welcome to it. Uh, does the uh, Republican voter fraud fraud ever end, Desi Doyen? Apparently not. You are correct. <laughs> it never ends. In fact, not only does it not end, it actually gets rewarded. I got a story or three on that coming up shortly, uh, as well as on a very high-profile Trumpster who may actually face some accountability for that fraud. But, well, I to be honest, I remain dubious. We will see. We will get there in a bit. Some quick news for you today before we do. News that seems to have otherwise been buried by our by our mainstream corporate media for some reason, because, you know, boy, when there's news about inflation, when those, you know, numbers come out from the government agencies and so forth, I get 10 different alerts on my iPhone via email. But good news on Joe Biden's economy, on new jobs creation and low unemployment. Uh, really any good news regarding Joe Biden or the popularity of Democratic programs and proposals, which I'll also get to in a moment. Um, well, good luck hearing about them at all. Uh, Desi, you found this one today buried somewhere at Yahoo News. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yahoo Finance, I think it was. It most certainly <laughs> did not come up in an alert on my phone. 
U.S. Jobless... As important enough to know. Yeah, exactly. And you would think this story would. U.S. jobless claims, that is new unemployment claims, held multi-decade lows last week as companies work to keep employees on their payroll amid ongoing labor shortages. You see what already in the first sentence, they have turned what should be a good news story for American workers of very few new unemployment claims into a bad news story of ongoing labor shortages for corporations. See how they did that? In the first sentence, the uh, Labor Department released its latest weekly jobs claims report Thursday, finding just 185,000 new applicants. That is near a 54-year low that was set earlier this month, just the week before. Weekly claims fell to the lowest level since 1968. That is years before you were even born, Desi Doyen. I know. We'll go with that. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that was uh, the, the, that. This compares to the average of about uh, two hundred and eighteen thousand new claims filed per week throughout twenty nineteen before the pandemic. So yes, Donald Trump's great economy, record economy, best economy ever for American workers that he likes to pretend that he likes to tout while ignoring the millions of jobs that were lost during his pandemic well the new jobless claims here are even better than that better than before the pandemic why are you just hearing about that now on the broadcast i don't know the uh, latest figures represent a staggering reversal from the outsized claims filed at the height of the pandemic two years ago when claims at one point dropped six uh, uh, topped topped 6.1 million in a single week back in April 2020. That's compared to now under Joe Biden when they are about 170,000 per week or so. No wonder his approval ratings are so low. But here's where here's where they really turned the good news into terrible news for those who bother to even see this story. Uh, nevertheless, writes Emily McCormick at Yahoo Finance, the underlying trend in the claims data has undeniably pointed to a labor market still short of sufficient worker supply to meet demand. Good news for American workers is somehow actually bad news for American corporations. Labor costs have risen for companies across industries as a result. In other words, wages exactly. for workers labor have risen costs. <laughs> and uh, and they know contribute to a further jump in inflation. Well, darn those low and middle class workers and their wage increases in a tight labor market. We got to get rid of Joe Biden and the Democrats who caused this mess. It's a disaster. The article closes with a quote from the uh, from National Federation of Independent Business Chief Economist Bill Dunkelberg. That's really his name, uh, who said in FIB's latest release in response to all of this great, I mean, terrible news, quote, with inflation and ongoing staffing shortage and supply chain disruption, small business owners remain pessimistic about their future business conditions. <laughs> Sounds like this economy is in big trouble, eh? I know. All these workers with higher wages able to buy stuff. No wonder small businesses are worried. Despite the lowest 
new jobs, uh, jobless claims since 1968 and the largest growth of GDP, by the way, since, and Yahoo does not mention this at all, since September of 1969. And yet... Democrats, for some reason, are expected to take a shellacking this November, as the pundits keep telling us, according to their conventional wisdom or maybe just their self-fulfilling prophecies. Uh, here's more bad news for Democrats and Joe Biden that you probably have not heard about this week. When it comes to taking steps to fight climate change, Americans broadly support six key Biden administration proposals meant to transition the U.S. to renewable sources of energy, according to a Gallup poll released on Monday, but I'm only hearing about it now. Each of these six proposals was part of President Biden's Build Back Better bill, which received no report from no support from Republican lawmakers and was effectively killed when Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat, refused to back it. So asked if they favored or opposed providing tax credits to Americans who install clean energy systems like solar power in their homes. 89% said they favored that idea. Just 11% said they opposed it. 89% in America? 89% of Americans don't agree on anything. They don't agree if it is daytime. <sighs> on, uh, on whether U.S. should provide tax incentives to businesses to promote their use of wind, solar, and nuclear power, 75% of Americans said they favored that proposal, just 24% opposed it. In its poll, Gallup asked respondents their view on the idea of setting higher fuel efficiency standards for cars, trucks, and buses. 71% said they favored that proposal. Well, good, because he's done it already. Though if you don't listen to our Green News report, you may or may not know that it's already done. <laughs> right. Earlier this month, the Biden administration finalized their rule requiring higher mileage uh, standards for cars and trucks, mandating, as I recall, was it 40 miles per gallon? By 2026. By 2026. 49, I think it actually is. Americans are in favor of that as well. All of these things shut down. They were all in uh, Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill. They were all shut down by the Republican Party and one Democrat named Joe Manchin. 62% of Americans said that they favored establishing strict limits on the release of methane in the production of natural gas. And in November of last year, the Biden administration released a detailed plan for how to do just that. Who knew? Nobody knew because we don't talk about it. All we hear is Fox News talking about how Democrats want to shut down the uh, energy and they, they want to, don't want us to be energy independent. Every time these issues come up, well, the American people apparently are not falling for it. The American people are in favor of this stuff bigly. Someone at least tell Joe Manchin. Who knows? But, you know, he, like the Republicans, are all getting paid off by big fossil fuel. Another plank of Build Back Better was for the federal government to subsidize the construction of electric vehicles charging stations across the country. 
Surveys have also shown that consumers are wary that they won't be able to find enough charging stations if they were to buy an EV. On the idea of spending federal money to increase the number of electric vehicle charging stations in the U.S., the Gallup poll found that 59% of Americans favored doing exactly that. 59%. But of course, all of this was stopped by every single Republican in the U.S. Senate plus Joe Manchin. Despite the overwhelming popularity, according to Gallup polling this week from across the political aisle for all of these things. At a time when climate scientists are warning that the window of opportunity to avert disaster from rising global temperatures is quickly closing, the passage of Build Back Better would have dramatically sped the pace of all six wildly popular proposals. By the way, there was a lot more wildly uh, popular proposals in the Build Back Better as well, expanding Medicare, health care, child care, elder care, and so on and so forth. But for now, that opportunity is gone. Still, uh, things are changing anyway when it comes to the climate, uh, for the better in some cases at least, uh, at least as, lo- as far as the efforts that are, are being carried out beyond what the federal government has been allowed to do, as Desi will detail later in her GNR, her latest uh, Green News report, with a major milestone for wind energy that I suspect you will not be hearing about at Donald Trump's rallies. <laughs> Where he's still talking about wind is no good, no good for energy. It causes cancers. It kills birds. Uh, it won't let him watch TV with his darling <laughs> wife or whatever he nonsense is repeated over and over again while the real news is not. Or the real news is somehow turned into bad news even when it is actually good news. Yeah, instead we get uh, the GOP's BS culture wars. Yes, we do, but not on this program. Instead, what we get are actual facts. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with some actual facts about GOP voter fraud. A lot of it. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It is fun. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Why am I playing uh, YMCA here? Gosh, Do you have any idea why? Why are you playing YMCA by well, the village people here? Well, as it turns out, that is, of course, the song that uh, Donald Trump, for some reason, plays at the end of all his rallies. <laughs> I know. First, I don't get it. I, I have no idea why he loves that song enough to play at his rallies, given what it's actually about. But yes, it is about... I'm sorry, it is by the village people, and that will make sense in a second. We detailed a few days ago on this show the the new report from the very Trumpy 
MAGA Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich, who is running for the GOP nomination to challenge Democratic U.S. Senator Mark Kelly out there this year. As it turns out, after months of pretend cyber ninja so-called post-election audits after 2020 that turned up absolutely nothing of note, found no evidence of fraud, and generally confirmed that, yeah, Joe Biden did, in fact, defeat Donald Trump in Arizona in 2020. As all non-insane people had already come to understand, uh, you know, well over a, a year after the election and then months after that, months and months more of investigation of, of whatever findings the cyber ninjas pretended to have, uh, an investigation was carried out by the state's Republican attorney general, Mark Burnovich, who was very concerned about what he saw. And yet after all of that, Joe Biden still won the state and there is still no evidence, as Brnovich essentially conceded in his report last week, of the massive fraud that we were promised. We were promised by Team Trump and the MAGA dopes who bought into all of this con uh, that we would, you know, find the evidence of all of this fraud. Instead of all of the evidence of fraud, we found, well, none of the evidence of fraud. But maybe, maybe they were just looking in the wrong place. Perhaps Trump should have been looking to one of the most wingnut portions of his own newly adopted home state of Florida if he wanted to figure out where all the voter fraud was. But he reportedly won uh, his home state of Florida, so there was there couldn't have been any fraud there. Of course not. Uh, so remember in the run-up to the 2020 election when they were uh, having all of those golf cart parade rallies for Donald Trump. That was in a huge and apparently very Trumpy retirement village in Florida known as The Villages, where, as it turns out, old white men were apparently committing voter fraud, according to their recent confessions to authorities. Two residents of the villages now admit they voted twice during the 2020 election. According to court records, Charles Barnes and Jay Ketzik recently entered a pre-trial diversion program that will allow them to avoid potential prison time if they successfully complete court-ordered requirements, such as performing community service and attending a civics class. Wow. How nice for them. That is very nice for them. Both. I know it doesn't turn out quite nearly as well for people of color who Oh, are... we'll get there. Okay, good. Don't worry. <laughs> Both men acknowledged uh, their guilt as part of their agreements with prosecutors. The parties agree that the first step in rehabilitation is to is the admission of wrongdoing. The written contract states uh, quite civilly, as long as they admit to it, that's the first step. Barnes, who is 64 years old, and Ketzik, who is 63 years old, are among four of the four residents of the villages who were accused. Uh, recently of casting multiple ballots in both Florida and their original home states during the 2020 election. All four faced a maximum of five years in prison if a jury convicted them of the third-degree felony. Joan Halstead, who is 71, and John Ryder, who is 61, are still awaiting trial for allegedly casting multiple ballots. According to court records, both have pleaded not guilty. We wish them luck. 
Barnes, who was not affiliated with a political party at the time of the 2020 election, told investigators he, quote, wanted to see if he could vote twice, unquote, in both Florida and his home state of Connecticut, according to court records. I wonder why he suddenly became curious to see if he could do that. Katzik, on the other hand, who was registered as a Republican, in the November 2020 uh, election, along with the other two folks from the villages who have pleaded not guilty. Ketzik originally told investigators that his vote-by-mail ballot was sent to his original home state of Michigan, quote, by mistake, according to court records. Seriously, here's what uh, WKMG's Mike DeForest reported last year in late December about this case, about the claim that Ketzik was making uh, when he was approached by investigators. Uh, in early October of, of last year, Ketzik and his wife voluntarily agreed to meet with Dan Marshall, an investigator with the state attorney's office. He said, uh, quote, I did not willfully vote twice in the same election that after learning of the allegations against him, my intent was to be a Florida resident and vote in Florida. I had no intention of voting in Michigan. <laughs> he accidentally voted in Michigan, it seems. Ketzik, who sold his Michigan home. In July of 2020, before moving to Florida, he admitted to filling out a Michigan absentee ballot, but he denied submitting it. He was he was just filling it out. He just filled it out. For fun. To see what would happen. He wasn't going to send it in. He just filled it out. He said, I did not mail that back to Michigan. If it got mailed, I have no idea how. In the move, we were moving stuff. We were sending bills back and forth. Ketzik, who told the investigators that he worked for more than 30 years as an administrator in, wait for it, Michigan's Department of Corrections, hmm. claimed that the uh, Michigan ballot, quote, got mailed by mistake. By magic. <laughs> Ketzik signed and dated the Michigan ballot envelope. You know, the... On the outside. The outside that you have to... The one he had no intention of sending. He he signed it and he dated it on September 30, more than two months after he had sold his Michigan home, according to a, a copy of the envelope that was obtained by prosecutors. The envelope containing the Michigan ballot was postmarked in Orlando on October 3. So he had already moved down to Florida, and then he mailed it from there, according to investigators. Well, months. it mailed itself. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it, it was an accident. Uh, this was months after he had sold his house in Michigan and moved down to Florida. And then, yes, accidentally, somehow, after signing and dating the outer security envelope, he, he somehow mailed it. The very next day, by the way, after that happened, Ketzik then signed and dated a Florida vote-by-mail ballot envelope. Uh, according to the records, the ballot uh, ballot's envelope was postmarked in Orlando on October 10. Marshall, the state investigator, told Ketzik during that interview last year, quote, I can show you voted in both states. I'm pretty confident. Ketzik replied, I can't dispute that, but I had no intent. <laughs> Ketzik uh, left the state attorney's office after the interview, but he was 
arrested uh, later on December 8, and he was released on a $2,000 bond the same day. Jail records show, so at least he didn't have to even spend the night in jail. But now, so that was last uh, December. Now, uh, as it turns out, he's pleading guilty and admitted that, yes, he did vote twice on purpose after all. I guess he had the intent. Under the pre-trial intervention contracts that were he was allowed to sign, both him, Ketzik, and, uh, and Barnes, prosecution will be deferred for a period of 18 months with the possibility that it will be permanently deferred, deleted from his record if they successfully complete the court-ordered requirements. Those requirements include refraining from violating any laws, possessing firearms without permission, and changing their residence or employment without permission, according to records. Barnes and Ketzik must also complete a 12-week adult civics class based on the textbook We the People, the Citizen, the Citizen and the Constitution, and he must receive, they must receive a grade of C or better in that class. The two men are also required to perform 50 hours of community service and pay a $50 monthly fee to the Department of Corrections, along with $400 in additional fees and costs. Now, you know, that all seems kind of reasonable, even if it feels like they are getting off fairly easy for this crime. I think the penalties might be appropriate here uh, if... A, Republicans didn't make such a huge national case of pretending that Democrats are doing this very sort of thing in massive numbers that resulted in the 2020 election being stolen. That would have to you know, be millions of people doing exactly this sort of thing, not a couple of yutzes down in the villages in Florida doing this sort of thing. And by the way, not getting caught by the processes that are in place that, for example, helped catch uh, help catch these clowns. Yeah, I mean, it shows that the election and voting security protocols that they actually work to catch vote fraudsters. So, uh, you know, so that's one uh, reason why these penalties might be appropriate. B, Republicans weren't using uh, if Republicans weren't using those very, you know, false same false claims of massive Democratic voter fraud to make it much, much harder for actual legal voters who aren't double voting, making it harder for them to vote at all. You can look at what happened just uh, last month in, in Texas in the primary when tens of thousands of perfectly legal longtime absentee voters saw their mail ballots rejected under the state Republicans' new voting restrictions there. And see, this all might be fair if the penalties didn't seem to be much, much more severe for Democrats who are caught doing Less than half of what these four old white clods in the villages were caught doing. For example, last uh, November, Crystal Mason, she was sentenced after being found to have cast a provisional ballot while on supervised release from jail. She did not realize that she was ineligible to vote because nobody actually told her when she was released. But when she showed up to vote at the polling place where she had always voted in the past, she identified herself. She was told, oh, you're not on the rolls for some reason. So a poll worker told her to fill out a provisional ballot, which she did. 
But she was not eligible to vote on supervised release, even though she didn't know that. So her ballot was never actually counted, much less counted twice like these folks down in the villages. Nonetheless, Crystal Mason was a black woman in Texas, and she was sentenced last November for this crime of not voting, apparently, because her ballot didn't even get counted. She was sentenced last November to five years in prison. So, yeah, that's why I tell these stories from time to time of, of you know, sort of penty, penny ante, uh, purposeful voter fraud by Republicans like those uh, in, in Florida's The Village. I, you know, I could tell you tons of such stories of white Republican vote fraudsters getting off with a slap on the wrist and people of color having the book thrown at them. And their lives destroyed. For example, what would have happened in this story if it was about a, uh, let's say, a black man who did the very same thing? A 62-year-old Republican white guy this week was removed from North Carolina's voter rolls as the State Bureau of Investigation continues a probe into allegations that he committed election fraud. The Macon County Board of Elections director confirmed this week that she had removed him uh, the prior day from the county's active voter list. She consulted with the North Carolina Board of Elections staff in Raleigh after finding records showing that the man was actually registered both in Virginia and North Carolina. He was registered in two different places, which a lot of people are because they move and they don't tell the other jurisdiction that they have moved. That in and of itself isn't that bad. But uh, what the election uh, director found was that he was uh, also registered in the state of Virginia and he voted in a 2021 election there. The last election he voted in Macon County, North Carolina, was in 2020. The state law under which he was removed from the rolls says that, uh, quote, if a person goes into another state, county, municipality, war, precinct, ward or other election district or into the District of Columbia and while there and while there exercises the right of a citizen by voting in an election, that person shall be considered to have lost residence in that state, county, municipality, precinct, ward or other election district from which that person removed. Well, last month, authorities learned that the man had indeed registered to vote at a uh, single-wide mobile home in Macon County, North Carolina, where there is no evidence that he ever actually lived at all, though he voted absentee using that address in the 2020 election. The Macon County election director said Virginia records show that when the man registered in that state, he did not include any information about his North Carolina registration. So Virginia election officials did not notify North Carolina officials about this double registration. The registration of the man's wife, however, that one remains active for some reason for the uh, North Carolina mobile home address, which neither she nor her husband ever actually owned. News first broke about the unlikely voter address with a March 6 New Yorker story citing interviews with neighbors, the owner and former um, uh, and the for and the former owner of this uh, double wide trailer who said that the wife rented the home. She stayed there a few nights, but her husband was never, ever seen there. Her husband, as it turns out, 
was a former North Carolina Republican congressman who went on to become Donald Trump's chief of staff, a guy by the name of Mark Meadows. You may have heard of him. You know, the guy who worked so hard with Donald Trump to steal the entire 2020 presidential election from the American people by, among other things, falsely claiming that massive voter fraud was happening by Democrats who stole the election for Joe Biden. That guy, that Mark Meadows who finally is being investigated for the apparent voter fraud that he, yes, carried out. For now, he has been taken off the voter rolls. He's been he's not off the voter. He's actually on it, but he's been removed from the active uh, uh, voter uh, list so that if he did try to come in and vote or did try to get an absentee ballot, he would be held accountable. Uh, You know, they would have to check it and, and see what was going on. Macon County Republican uh, voters interviewed by the Asheville Citizen Times expressed skepticism that a powerful member of the president's staff would have ever lived in the small mobile home with a rusted roof. A State Bureau of Investigation spokesperson did not immediately respond to a message asking if the change in Meadows' registration had any significance to what is apparently an ongoing investigation. I suspect it does. A North Carolina woman who said that she was prosecuted for mistakenly voting while on probation, meanwhile, called for Meadows to face a similar fate. Do you think you will? Or maybe just a a pre-trial diversion program at best, since he's a first offender. Let him take a class, do a few hours of community service. Will that even happen to this guy? This guy who was in a, a, a conspiracy with the president of the United States. And oh yeah, don't forget the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice to try and overthrow, to try and reverse, to try and undermine, to, yes, try to steal a presidential election? Will he ever face, never mind accountability for that, will he face accountability for simply committing voter fraud? Don't know. Uh, More recently, Meadows, uh, who uh, the uh, Asheville Citizen Times reports, happens to be a top member of the state Conservative Partnership Institute. Meadows uh, has recently stopped speaking at uh, CPI-sponsored statewide election integrity summits. (laughs) I bet he has. On voter fraud matters for some reason. He, He doesn't talk about that anymore. The uh, summits uh, uh, apparently show uh, how to organize citizen election integrity task forces across uh, across the state to, you know, check on people's voter records to ensure that they live where they have said they are registered to live. Now, longtime listeners uh, to this program or uh, readers of Bradblog.com will know that I have documented one instance after another after another of voter and election fraud by high-profile Republicans. From Ann Coulter, who falsely registered at her real estate broker's house in, yeah, the state of Florida, who was never held accountable for that, 
who uh, had a boyfriend who worked at the FBI who eventually got her off the hook after the entire thing uh, ran for so long, despite having her dead to rights. I've got you can go to bradblog.com. You can see her signed false voter registration uh, uh, form at her real estate broker's house. She never faced any accountability for this fraud. Tell it to Crystal Mason, sentenced to five years in prison. Then there's Mitt Romney in Massachusetts. Perhaps you may have heard of him. Also a high-profile Republican. The uh, millionaire Romney was registered as living in the basement of his son's half-constructed home. I'm sure that happened, you know. And I could go on and on. The Indiana Republican Secretary of State a few years ago. Don't even know if you remember this one, Des. Charlie White. Remember him? I think top, so. He's the Indiana Republican State's, uh, the state's top election official in the state where the whole idea of uh, strict uh, photo ID uh, restrictions, where that was first put in place in Indiana. And right around that same time, the top election official in Indiana was a guy by the name of Charlie White, a Republican. He was eventually found guilty of three voter fraud felonies. He actually faced some accountability. I don't think he ever went to jail. He was eventually forced to step down as secretary of state. But most of these uh, high-profile Republicans are, and I could go more, by the way. Don't don't even get me started. Newt <laughs> Gingrich. I could, uh, anyway, most of them were never held accountable, unlike uh, Crystal Mason in Texas and so many others whose stories, some of whose I've, I've tried to tell over the years, and all of which are very easy to fact-check. I never ask anyone to simply believe me. I've got the receipts, including the false voter registrations, posted at bradblog.com for folks like Coulter and Romney, etc. But the... But the GOP voter fraud fraudster grift is a lucrative one, apparently. And it is still applauded and rewarded by Republicans who are dumb enough to buy into this grift or smart enough to pretend that it is not a grift and just soak up all of the, 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 the money and the benefits that go with it. Last weekend, the Colorado Republican Party officially threw its support behind U.S. Senate primary candidate Ron Hanks, a GOP state rep who's been advancing ex-President Donald Trump's big lie about the 2020 election, despite any evidence to support the claim. A full year and a half since the election during the state uh, Republican GOP's assembly in Colorado Springs over just this past weekend, Hanks got 39 percent of the vote from assembly delegates, uh, allowing him to be on the Republican primary ballot, clearing the uh, 30 percent threshold required. The vote makes Hanks the party's lead choice in the race against Democratic Senator Michael Bennett. In the uh, in the upcoming 2022 midterms, Hanks, however, is an outspoken voter fraud conspiracy theorist who, like the other pro-MAGA election deniers, falsely claims that Trump was the true winner of the 2020 election. In fact, Hanks boosted the lie at the convention on Saturday and went pretty much further than anyone I think I've ever seen go, even further than Donald Trump here. He compared the 2020 election to the terrorist attack on 9-11. Really? Yes. Quote, I fully expected Donald Trump to win in 2020. 
And he did, the candidate declared at this uh, at the Republican Party convention where he was rewarded with the endorsement for for the ballot. He goes on to say, when we saw what we saw on election night in 2020, it changed everything, just like the changes we felt after 9-11. But that's not all that happened at the uh, at the Colorado State uh, Convention over the weekend. Uh, this is uh, the the delegates uh, there. They also voted to back a woman by the name of Tina Peters. You may recall her. She's the Republican clerk of Mesa County, who is now running for secretary of state, the state's top election official after she has been after Peters has been indicted on felony charges related to what related to election tampering. Seriously. Tina Peters, the Colorado County clerk, now facing federal charges for an alleged conspiracy theory fueled scheme to breach her own county election systems security protocols, was the clear favorite of the Republican Party voters who met Saturday to pick their 2022 candidates. Roughly 3,700 delegates attended on Saturday at the uh, state Republican Party assembly. Peters received 61 percent of the vote for secretary of state, more than twice what was necessary to appear on the primary ballot, according to the AP. And that was the highest percentage of any candidate in any contested race on Saturday, according to Colorado Public Radio. That after uh, you may recall, Peters snuck in to her own secured area where they store voting systems breaching security protocols in in uh, in the middle of the oh yeah at the very least breaching the security protocols uh this is back in mesa county colorado just a few months in uh 20 2021 just a few months after the election she snuck in the middle of the night she brought two accomplices accomplices with her one of whom uh she had a fake id card made for They turned off the security cameras in the room. They made unlawful imaged copies of the hard drives that were containing that contained Dominion Voting Systems software, the election management system software. That's the key. That's the heart. That's the main part of these voting systems. That software was then later leaked in full out to the Internet. As Peters was speaking at the moment, she was speaking at the uh, My Pillow guy Mike Lindell's phone or uh, phony uh, cyber symposium on election fraud in the 2020 election last year, uh, at which he had promised but presented zero evidence of any election fraud. Yes, that Tina Peters. And after that happened, that was weeks before those same uh, Dominion voting systems, the election management system software that is so critical, just weeks before that same software was to be used out here in California and a whole bunch of big counties in the uh, recall election, the Republicans recall election for uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor out here. It caused quite a stir at the time, thanks to Tina Peters. Should Peters, uh, who is apparently the clear favorite now of the Republican Party for secretary of state in Colorado, if she wins the primary this June, 
in the state just a couple months from now. And then November's general election, she'd be the top election official in the state of Colorado. Unclear whether she will be allowed to serve in that post if she's in federal prison for tampering with elections and helping to steal secure election software. As TPM's Matt Schuem uh, snarks, the overwhelming support from party faithful came despite or maybe because of Peter's recent 10 count federal indictment for the alleged scheme to bypass election data security protocols in Mesa County. (laughs) In the clerk's office, she uh, she she said uh, they they made me sleep on the this is what she was complaining uh, about on Saturday to the GOP officials. They made me sleep on the concrete jail floor for 30 hours because I protected your election data. <laughs> I protected it by stealing it and leaking it. Correct. She is actually accused of doing criminally accused of doing the opposite. Peter's alleged scheme, according to the indictment, uh, involves stealing the identity of a local man in order to create this extra security pass for the election officials. It resulted in the distribution of confidential information from county election systems as a federal grand jury discovered. They've discovered all of this, and yet the Republicans went in and made her their top choice for secretary of state. Peter's meanwhile, has been prohibited by a judge from handling election matters. How does that work if she becomes secretary of state? Unclear. It did not stop the Republicans who were gathered on Saturday from throwing their weight behind her because, you know, Republicans are very concerned about the integrity of elections. The top vote getter on Saturday to be uh, Colorado's next governor was Greg Lopez. He said in a speech, quote, that if Tina Peters should be falsely accused as governor, I will pardon her. There you go. Because Republicans are also not just concerned about election integrity, but also concerned about the rule of law and law and order. And uh, by the way, Peters appeared on the station uh, on the uh, stage with her uh, ally, state rep Ron Hanks, that uh, 2020 election denier who also won the delegates endorsement over the weekend. And who, by the way, I hadn't realized this had uh, Hanks had crossed police lines in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Oh, really? Yes. And he was rewarded as the top vote getter uh, for the party's U.S. Senate nomination on Saturday. Uh, But that's not all, by the way, for Peters. The Mesa County clerk, uh, who was removed from her position by the current Secretary of State after the copied hard drives scheme was discovered, uh, she recently appeared, again, with my pillow guy Mike Lindell, longtime supporter. She recently appeared at another rally with him. The pillow magnate said that he donated up to $800,000 for Peter's legal defense. So that's very nice. However, that seems to violate state law, which generally caps such donations at $65 per person. I would say he's gone over. Do you think he'll face accountability for it? Nope. We'll see. Peter subsequently denied knowing anything about Lindell paying for her legal defense. Who gave me $800,000? I don't know even though she had previously promoted Lindell's fundraising efforts. And last week she was rewarded with 61% of the vote at the Colorado State Party Delegate Convention. 
Whatever her legal troubles, Peter's success on Saturday showed the ongoing political power, fueled by Donald Trump, of the big lie, still. Last month, the leader of Colorado's Republican Party, Christy Burton Brown, called on Peters to do the right thing and suspend her Secretary of State campaign after she was indicted on 10 federal charges. But Peters didn't. And after uh, Saturday's assembly, whatever, when she was given the uh, given the nod to be the choice by the state party, Burton Brown tweeted out a big congrats <laughs> to all the winners on Saturday. Well, so much for that law and order. Yep. The madness continues. But if you didn't know, now you know. Green News Report is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. As it turns out, news never stops. <laughs> Surprise! Which is exactly why I'm so exhausted and looking forward to spring break. Uh, some some uh, news coming out of Europe was not in time for our green news report, but we'll uh, we'll we'll give you that update after we get to our latest green news report. I got no way to to go now. I got no house. I got no nothing. Catastrophic rains and floods kill hundreds in South Africa. I'm here today because homegrown biofuels have a role to play right now. Biden waves summer ban on ethanol to combat high gas prices. Plus, the climate crisis is supercharging hurricane rainfall. All of those super stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You will never hear a Republican who complains about how much we have to pay for gasoline ever complain about Jared Kushner getting $2 billion in oil profit money from Saudi Arabia. Well, that's because they don't actually care about gas prices, and they're jealous of Jared. Now, what was that whole thing about $10,000 and Hunter Biden again? This is your Green News Report. $2 billion in oil profit money from Saudi Arabia. Okay, Desi Doyen, the... Climate crisis devastation continues, doesn't it? Yes, unfortunately, it does. Rescue and evacuation operations are underway in Durban, South Africa, after days of torrential rains and floods washed away roads and bridges and destroyed homes and vital infrastructure, killing at least 300 people. This latest weather disaster comes not long after other parts of southern Africa were devastated by five powerful tropical storms in just six weeks earlier this year. In a new study out this week, scientists from the World Weather Attribution Project, which analyzes the influence of climate change on extreme weather events, confirmed that climate change made those storms more intense and damaging. 
Gosh, I wish we had more studies on all of this. Climate change also made the record-breaking 2020 Atlantic hurricane season even worse. A new study in Nature Communications finds clear evidence that ocean warming is driving Atlantic hurricanes to produce more rainfall and to become more intense. This was the first study to look at an entire hurricane season rather than just single storms. The researchers found that during the entire record season of 30 named storms, Human-caused global warming supercharged hourly rainfall rates in tropical storms and hurricanes by as much as 11 percent. One researcher warned, quote, This isn't an end-of-the-century thing that we have to worry about. We actually have to prepare our coastlines for the changes in these storms now. What, because climate change is happening right now? Yes, that's exactly what he means. In other news, the spike in U.S. gasoline prices and other fossil fuel commodities caused in part by Russia's invasion of Ukraine are a key reason that domestic inflation is rising. To help lower gas prices, the Biden Environmental Protection Agency this week issued a temporary waiver to the Clean Air Act to allow gasoline known as E15, which is blended with 15 percent ethanol made from corn, to be sold in summer months to increase supply. The administration estimates that will bring down gas prices by about 10 cents per gallon where it is sold. Here's President Biden at an ethanol plant in Iowa. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide in a half a world away. Now, it's a win for farm state lawmakers, but the temporary waiver is controversial because burning E15 gas in summer months increases polluting smog and it could encourage more fossil fuel consumption. You know what else would help? What? Don't we have war profiteering laws on the books anymore? Sure would like to see some of those brought against big oil. Well, high gas prices have political impacts for congressional Democrats who warned that if Republicans win control of Congress in the November midterm elections, that will effectively mean the end of U.S. climate policy. Yeah, and maybe the end of democracy, but that's a whole different story. Another major energy company is moving to exit Russia to stop funding the war on Ukraine. Rexit? Bloomberg News reports that Vital Group, the world's largest independent oil trader, will stop trading Russian crude oil and products as its existing contracts expire by the end of this year and will not enter into any new transactions with Russia. Good. Some good news. Japanese carmaker Honda announced this week it will try to catch up to other global carmakers by pouring $40 billion into electrifying its lineup with the target of launching 30 EV models globally by 2030. And finally, the U.S. has hit a wind energy milestone. In the first week of April, wind power was the second largest source of electricity in the United States for the first time ever. Nice. That's according to the Federal Energy Information Administration. Wind energy edged out electricity generated by nuclear and coal in the nation's electricity mix, but still trailed behind natural gas. I didn't even know we had a Federal Energy Information Administration. And now you know. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. We're off for a bit, but we'll see you after a much-needed spring break. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
Uh-huh. Now you know. Now you know. Uh, <laughs> so really, wind energy was the second most Second largest po- source of electricity generation. Source. Yep. Yeah. And, in the U.S. And, uh, and yet Trump is going to keep going out there and talking about how it doesn't work, causes cancers, kills the birds, all the of other. Of course, it's his shtick. That's his shtick, and he never ends his shtick, does he? Um, I mentioned um, some uh, news that came in just a bit too late for our Green News report today, but European uh, Union officials are now drafting the most contested measure yet to punish Russia for its invasion of Ukraine and embargo on Russian oil products. Not just coal, but oil. The bloc has long resisted a ban on Russian oil because of its enormous cost for Germany and its potential to disrupt politics around the region and increase energy prices. Yes, it would increase. Ga- I'm in favor of this, but it would increase gas prices for Americans most li- most likely as well. So, uh, be careful before you applaud this move too loudly. Well, that's even if, though I'm doing so. I know, and I think it's really important that European that the European Union does this because they've got to figure out ways to uh, punish Russia so that they can find leverage to stop Putin's brutality against mm-hmm. Ukraine, his genocide that he is committing in Ukraine. And yes, it's going to drive up natural gas prices because hey, America, guess what? All of those pushes to export natural gas through uh, liquid natural gas terminals that the Republicans have been pushing for decades—they finally worked. Now all the U.S. natural gas that's produced here is being shipped overseas. That's limiting supply and raising your prices. But hey, now it's maybe able to help Europe. So, you know. And and that despite, by the way, as we covered at the top of the show, the wildly popular plans to move to renewable energy in this country, uh, which... Republicans uh, keep killing. Uh, you also had some good news that we didn't have time for uh, about um, a record uh, Mercedes. Was yes. It? So there's a new electric vehicle world record. A Mercedes-Benz concept car got 621 miles in real world conditions, 621 miles on a single charge. And that was driving over the Swiss Alps. Really? Yeah. So uh, the innovation is is moving ahead apace. It's happening no matter how they're trying to how big fossil fuels trying to undermine it. Yep. All right, we got to get out. Uh, as noted, we are uh, going to be uh, standing down for a little bit. Nicole Sandler will be in for us on the next thrilling broadcast, I think. And then you know what? We'll see you in a while. I hope you. Well, I hope you miss us. How's that? <laughs> Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. All of what we do is made possible by listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'll try to read it while I'm doing something else, looking the other way. My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me maybe at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Till we see you back here, whenever. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>